All right, we're just going to get right into it today. We have an emergency Ray Gaddis retirement. It's always soccer in Philadelphia podcast. No goofy introduction, no music or anything like that. For this special episode, we have brought back an original, the OG, my co-creator, co-founder, the guy who was with me from day one on the program. Everybody, please welcome back with a roaring round of applause, Mr. Dave Zeitlin. <laughs> Yes, I am back. Ray Gaddis is gone, but I am back. So kind of a kind of like a, a mixed bag for a, for a union fans. I well, think. it's the cycle of life, as they say. <laughs> you know, when one when one door closes, yeah. another door opens. So yeah. as Ray Gaddis ends his bad news, uh, news, yeah, Just yeah, he ends his thing. union career. Dave Zeitlin comes back into the picture. <laughs> so the uh, the life works in mysterious ways, as they say. Yeah, I was like just completely caught off guard. We just got to press yeah. release from the from the team and it was like Ray Gaddis is retiring here's a zoom call coming up in like an hour or so and I'm sitting here thinking mm -hmm. they're six weeks from the Champions League like what the hell is going on here so uh, you know Ray did a media appearance like an hour ago we're recording this at 2 30 on Thursday afternoon he said you know I got some things to tend to in Indy I wouldn't presume to know anything about it maybe he's got family stuff that's more important whatever that's not necessarily the big deal but um I mean, God, what was you, what was your reaction when you heard that, like six weeks before the Champions League yeah. game, in right when the preseason starts, that your starting right fullback is retiring? Same as you, surprise. I mean, he's pretty young, right? I think he was born in nineteen ninety. So, I mean, that that's too young to retire, right? I mean, yeah, I guess he's he's had a pretty long career, and he has a lot of like wear and tear on his body. He plays a ton of minutes, but uh, yeah, it took me back. I was surprised. Same as you. <laughs> That's why I'm here. Because right, Ray, Ray is one of the few here. dudes. He's one of the few dudes that played for all three of the coaches, you know. Yeah. So when yeah. you and I started, you know, in 2010 or whatever, two seasons later, that was Peter's final season was Ray's first season. Mm -hmm. So like the longevity yeah. that he's had is, is just insane when you think about it. He's played 18,702 minutes, 221 games, and 211 starts. He's like, he shattered yeah. all those individual records and, yeah and we've kind of touched on this before in different podcasts but to bridge three coaches as buried as peter novak john hackworth jim Curtin, you kind of have to have a what him and brian carroll both had they were like nice guys they were very easy to work with they didn't ruffle feathers you put them on the bench it's fine yeah. there's a degree you put them back in these guys aren't like necessarily the most talented guys but they're easy to have around and i think that's why him and Brian Carroll were like really the only ones I think who, who bridged all three coaches as well as they did and were liked by all three coaches. It, it seems really well. I mean, I think Jim probably liked Ray more than any of them. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. he was, a, Jim was talking about him on the zoom call today. Like it was his son said he was the best one V one defender in MLS history and said he was like the best player that he's had. But he's just <laughs> such, like, I get it. Like I understand why a coach talks like that because Ray is number one, an awesome dude. Number two, a consummate professional. Number three, he's always reliable. Number four, he's steady and like you know what you're going to get out of him. Like if you're doing the team sheet and you're and you're saying right fullback, okay, I can put Ray Gaddis in there. It's like the most, like the the, the last thing you got to think about, you know, because yeah. you know you are always going to get yeah. steady if unspectacular performances him on the right side. So to me, and here's the other thing too, and I want to get into this a little bit. I need you to kind of help me do the timeline, but because he played left back and he played right back and he had. Um, so much experience doing both of those things and just making himself available and present. It just seemed like he was a coach's dream because yeah. there were, there were no question marks surrounding him. Yeah. And one interesting part about it is he never had the job on like lock. You, 
like what you say, like there was always guys behind him or he was behind guys and he would take jobs from people. Like he took the job from, I think Keegan once yeah. when they benched Keegan, he took, he took the job, I think from, from uh, William Shane and Williams once, but guys still liked him in the locker room. Like even when he was taking jobs from people, it just seemed like he was so like well-respected, like in the locker room, like we were both in there. He wasn't like a rah, rah vocal leader, like a Caliph or a Bedoya. He, he was kind of like, like off to the aside, the quotes he gave us were kind of cliche. I'm not sure if he always liked talking with the media, but players just seemed to really like his professionalism. The coaches like that. Maybe not us in the media, like when we're, when we we're looking for that great quote, but um, everybody seemed to like him and just having him there as that blanket for people um, was just so, so important for this team as they really took that leap to the next level. It's a good point. He was not a good quote. Like, let the record show that Ray yeah. Gattis was not a good quote. He he would say, you know, I just like, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm blessed, you know, about this. And I'm always fortunate. I'm just trying to do my best and stuff like that. I got him to open. I got him to at least laugh today when I asked him about tucking his shirt in and why, how wow. he played with his shirt tucked in the whole time. And I got a smile got out of him. There, it, you know? But like, uh, yeah, he was always very, very measured in that regard and very even keel. And I like, to me, again, that proves why he was a coach's dream because you don't have to put out any fires. You're not going to get the phone call, the text message at 11 o'clock at night that says Ray Gaddis broke his foot while skiing, or he was partying with, uh, you know, the rest of the dudes who will remain unnamed in old city, you know? So like, there was never never any of that like stuff, you know, I mean, he was just like the most steady dude on the planet, but, um, so let's, let's just do a quick exercise here because we always like to do an exercise on the program. Let, let me just try to piece together the early days of, of Ray's okay. um, career just so we have the timeline straight. So he's drafted in 2012. Yeah, he comes in, comes in as a right back. Okay, but he didn't play a lot that first year. I think he came in at one point. There's someone who got hurt. Maybe it was Caliph. Maybe it was Gabe Farfin. I can't quite remember. But mm-hmm. yeah, he came in and he played a few games in a row, I think, because of injury. Now they yeah. still had in 2013. They still had Shannon at right back, and they had they just brought Fabi in that year. But I think Ray played on both yeah. sides, or did he play left back at that yeah, time? I'm trying. I can't remember when the first. You're testing, you're testing my memory. Yeah, I I can't remember like each year, but yeah, he he was back and forth, right and left. He had one year where he he played left back pretty much the entire season. Right now that was 2014, I think, because then it was Shannon on the right. Yeah. Remember, and it was Ray on the left because we famously said that the defense that year was it was a Moby and Aaron Wheeler. So their their defense, their defense that year was two right fullbacks uh, of striker and a defensive midfielder. So he played left back that year. Shannon played right back. Then in 2015, when they traded Shane and Shannon went back over or I'm sorry, Ray went back over to the right. I think Fabi played on the left. Does that ring a bell? That sounds right. Yeah. Okay, but then afterwards, they drafted Keegan. After yep. after Ray got his job back, Shannon was traded. They drafted Keegan anyway. Right. Ray went back over to the left. Yeah, and then he took Keegan's job on the right. What year was that? Was was that twenty sixteen or uh, seventeen? Because that was after Keegan's rookie year. Right. Okay. Yeah, because Keegan was yeah. a rookie in twenty sixteen, lit the world on fire. He was like the greatest thing ever that we yeah. thought, you know. And then they soured on him really quickly, and Ray came back to play that at twenty seventeen. There are probably tons of podcasts from 2017 where I'm yelling, why did you bench Keegan? So people, <laughs> should, people should go back and, and listen to those. We did an that. emergency podcast when he was traded. Yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah exactly. You know, but it's just, I would love to go back and listen to some old episodes and see what we said about him. But here, here's, my, here's my take. And I remember saying this to you on the podcast years ago, and I want to I give you the same take again, and you tell me what you think. But, you know, 
I think the way that Ray was kind of jerked around and mm-hmm. moved from left to right and back and forth again, I honestly think that played a role in extending his career because it made him more valuable as a multi-position yeah. guy who was not making a lot of money, right? Am I, am I right or wrong in that? Absolutely right on that one, yeah. So, like, again, I try to ask Ray about that, and I say, you know, your path as a professional was nonlinear, you know? I mean, you come in as a right back with Peter. You're playing left back for Hackworth. You're playing right back for Jim, and then you keep going back and forth. Like, when you think about it, like, that's a pretty damn good story, right? Like that's a lot of adversity. And and it's a story that's not going to happen again. Abe is the union don't draft anyone anymore, but to find (laughs) a guy in the late rounds like that and to have him be on the bench for a few years, like on and off and then to always hang around to like always be there to take guys jobs, to stay as long as he did with one team. I mean, we're never going to get that again. And that, especially because guys now, like, they have their positions. Like, Jim's not jerking anyone else around from left to right. Maybe they thought they could do that with Ray, because, you know, he just, like, where he came from. And uh, But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a West Virginia guy, too. How do you feel about that? Well, it's great. I had a really corny <laughs> let's, let's go Mountaineers at the end of the Zoom call, too. But I felt if it was his last press conference ever, that was the only time <laughs> that it would be appropriate to do that, you know. So, listen, I think here's the big question now. Um, Because, like, at some other point, if he comes back to the team as an assistant coach or something, we talk about it then. But do you, would you put Ray in the ring of honor? I think I would, yeah. So let me ask you then a follow up question to that. Because I don't think there's any, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's no like official criteria that the union has said that this is what you do to get on the ring of honor, right? Yeah. And I feel like it's obviously not geared, if it was geared to the most talented players, you know, you'd go maybe like Barnetta or even like Cleverson or whatever, like guys <laughs> who had like these like storied careers, but it's not, I mean, it's a thing where just by the very nature of, of these kind of honors, I mean, you look for guys who've been there for a while, who are known by the fans, who are liked by the fans, who are, who are part of this community. I mean, Ray was here for like a full decade and, and it was the first decade of this franchise's history, really. So I think when you factor all that in, how much he played and how he kind of bridged all those gaps, I think it's a it's a pretty obvious choice t- to me just for those reasons um, and not necessarily for, for like pure soccer talent reasons. I think so too, and that's kind of where I'm leaning now. But for the sake of the discussion, I find it fascinating that um, – you know, a guy who's been here for so long, well, let's take Sebastian Latou, right? Okay, 50 goals, 50 assists, all of the stat sheet stuff. It's very easy for us to parse statistically how a forward or how a midfielder would qualify for that kind of honor, right? Because right. it's like, okay, he scored all these goals and he bagged all these assists. It's very easy for the for the casual observer to say, yeah, he was a great player. He deserves to be on the wall. He was the face of the franchise. Okay, so how do you compare somebody like Sebastian Latou to Ray Gaddis, who was a steady stay-at-home right back who didn't really go forward, you know, didn't score a goal his entire career, wasn't banging in assists, but was an excellent 1v1 guy who has, you know, a statistical chart that's incomparable, like, or not incomparable, but like incongruent, non-congruous with what you would have with a midfielder or a striker. It's the same thing. It's like, it's like, how do you value like Joel Embiid's defense? Right. And it's easy to say, well, he scored 40 points. I was going to say that's always – an argument like you could make like forwards versus guys just like we're we're in the midfield or or on defense so I mean that's an argument that goes beyond the union beyond teams I think if you're looking at guys on the team who who made a difference you have to include him and I guess we could talk about Brian Carroll too but (laughs) I'm not 
quite as sure as that one. How crazy is it, by the way, that that, that um, Ray never had any goals? I mean, he because he did. He was fast. He ran up the field a lot. He had some shots. He, he <laughs> made some every now and then. Like there's like no tapping rebounds, like nothing in his entire that many minutes. Zero goals. I th- I think it's pretty crazy. I know they couldn't even get him a penalty or anything. I uh, I should have asked him that at the end of the availability. He said, Ray, look, I mean, do you feel like bad at all about like, like, did you just want to get that one goal before you finally yeah. call it quits? You know, like that's what everybody was asking for forever. You know, he, and then he would have had uh, his goals per minutes rate would be one goal <laughs> per 18,702 oh, yeah. minutes. <laughs> Someone made this point on Twitter, though. Do you remember the Open Cup final uh, versus KC? Yeah. He had a great PK goal in the uh, shootout. Oh, that's true. He did. Yeah, he did convert. Yeah. So that says to me, (laughs) somebody missed something there. And why didn't we see him take another penalty? They could have given him a PK. Bring him back for like one game next year. Have someone flop in the box. Give him the PK. Then he could retire. See, because here's the thing, man. And I don't want to sound like, you know, when a player retires and he has a great career, I don't want to go like negative on it. But if you're asking me if Ray Gaddis, the player, is like a ring of honor worthy kind of player, like I I don't, I, 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 here's the thing. Like somebody says, uh, uh, a view, not a viewer, nobody watches this podcast. A listener said like maybe a year ago, offered the comparison that, that Ray was like Cesar Hernandez, right? In the fact that like he's steady. He's not spectacular. He's not going to lose you a game ever. Okay. But he's not going to win you a game either. So like, if you're, if you're looking at it on sporting merit, um, I don't, I don't know if, if Ray Gaddis is a, is an on field um, ring of honor type of player. Now, if you look at his longevity and the steadiness that he contributed over to the team over the years and the reliability, the great things he did off the field, the fact that he was an ambassador for the team, a great representative for the team. And you yeah. take the totality of what he did over nine seasons. To me, he's a shoe in, but if you're going to yeah. separate it um, out from just on field, Hey, is this a, a player who's worthy of this recognition? I would, I would, I kind of think no. And I think of these guys who like, like a good example is like, you think of these guys who play for like lesser premier league or championship teams, right? Like take a guy who plays for like, Swansea or something okay so like Leon Britton or like Jack Cork played for those teams like 10 years okay but they never got like a like they would never be capped for like a good international team so is that person worthy of the ring of honor based on their on-field players at the totality of what they contributed to the club over the years so again I'm just kind of grasping at straws here because I don't know what the criteria is I don't think there is any criteria but I I would I would put if you're asking me straight up right now I I would I would put Ray into the ring of honor but it would be because of a combination of all those yeah. things. I'll put it in at the end of the day. Like, what does the uh, ring of honor like really mean for a team as young as the uh, union? Like when you have a fan come back in 10, 20 years and he has his kid there and there are three names up there, like Latou, Ray Gaddis, you could point to that, like point to those names, be like, I saw him play for 10 straight years. There's terrible seasons. Then they won a trophy and yeah. he was there the whole time. And he was great to the fans, great for the community. So, so for me, I don't take it that, I, mean, I just look at it in that way, like what he meant to this franchise and to this fan. So, so for that reason, I'd put him in. It is kind of cool. The fact that he's going out on top when you think about it, because yeah. he, he suffered through just as many shitty seasons as anybody. I mean, as anybody. <laughs> the fact that his first year was 2012 is we remember that so well, those first two months of 2012, oh my God. <laughs> when Peter Novak went crazy and traded Mwanga and Caleb and then Peter Novak got fired. And that was like the, yeah. the, the, early dark days 
like of this franchise. And he was just sitting there like as a rookie, like what the what the heck? It was like you and you and me and Judah Levine sitting as in 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 his apartment in like March watching a road game against the Chicago Fire, where where Peter Novak decided to roll out like a three man back line for the first time ever. He had like Shane and Williams playing on the left. And like Chris Albright playing on the right with Carlos Valdez in between. So you know, knowing what we went through, imagine what it was like for Ray Gaddis, who actually had to be part of the probably team. Hard for, for, yeah. yeah, probably harder for Ray to enjoy those first two months of coming <laughs> back or whatever it was. Hopefully, avoided the craziness. But listen, um, like, and this isn't really a big deal at all. I mean, like at right back, they have Harriel and they have Olivier and Bizo. I think they're all right there. Um, you know, I don't think there's much of a drop off, if any, um, from Ray, and that's not an anti-Ray comparison, but I just think they have, or an anti-Ray take, but I just think they're, they're, I think they'll be okay at, at right fullback. I think um, they should trade for, for, uh, for um, Keegan Rosenberry. Uh, you think they should bring back Keegan Rosenberg? <laughs> bring back Keegan. Okay, Keegan so this Apple. is like the third cycle of life now. Out goes, <laughs> out goes Ray Gaddis, in comes Dave Zeitlin and Keegan like, Rosenberg. <laughs> or like Gabe Barton maybe for a right back, is he still playing? <laughs> I, mean, I loved your far fan obsession back in the day i think you, you were able to to i think you proposed a team that had four far fans in it uh, at Still one point it was, it was michael Farfan, gabe Farfan, it was louis, louis Farfan, and it was a yeah. uh, jefferson Farfan of Sean <laughs> um okay i'm gonna read a couple questions you want to take a couple questions yeah sure this is not going to be a long podcast. Again, it's an emergency podcast. I'm just very happy that Dave was able to join me at all. Um, okay, Man On says, Barry Ashby had his number retired by the Flyers because of what he meant to the team, uh, despite being a totally average player. So with this in mind, do you see Ring of Honor as being more or less special than a number retirement? Uh, and based on that answer, would you put him in? So I think we both said we would put him in. But yeah, I mean, like, it, it, again, it's not like Ring of Honor. It, it, nobody's uh, we're not deciding if Ray Gaddis is going to be the MVP of MLS. Yeah, right. It's it's right. a it's a hyper local kind of thing. Right. So that does that make sense when you look at it that way? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Purely local. Uh, GWM says, is he the final player to ever play with a tucked in shirt? Uh, no, and I that asked him. Great, about, that I, I actually got a good answer out of him on this because he's like, "Well, part of the thing is when you tuck your shirt in, you can prove to the ref when you got pulled because if your shirt then comes out, yeah, like obviously the guy was like trying That's to like le- leverage you, you know." So. Good video too of like Jim Curtin tucking in his shirt and like Ali Bedoya and all those guys. I enjoyed that. That was video. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, you could put Brian Carroll and Ray Gaddis on the all MLS tucked in shirt team. Uh, you could put yeah. uh, Andrea, of- Andrea Pirlo on there too. So yeah. um, we'll have, that'll be an exercise. If, if we were like actually yeah. full-time, like, right, you know, or we were doing yeah. this job five years ago, yeah. this is an exercise that you and DeGeorge would be on my couch downstairs writing out the, writing out the list as we did. Oral history of all the players with tucked in shirts. So like, what did Ray say like in a press conference about, so he said he was leaving Philly to go back to uh indie or no he just i mean he basically said something to the effect that the union said that they learned last week or he informed them last week that he was going to retire um he just said something to the effect of like i i have to i think i wrote it down here he said they quote i have to attend to some things in indy in indianapolis do you think there's a chance they they uh, bring him back to to coach or i could see that for sure i I don't you know um marlon leblanc who is west virginia's coach oh, who West coached Virginia. Ray at WVU is now the union two head coach. So got Jack Elliott. So there's a strong West Virginia presence. That's right. He's, he's the head coach. You could have all those guys involved with you too. They could be Bono, <laughs> the edge, 
Kevin Pitsnago uh, can come back, be an assistant for uh, <laughs> I can only name two members of you two, so that's all I, all I could come up with. But uh, it's a good thought. I think that'd be cool. I mean, in your your you know youth academy to your second team, if you have Marlon LeBlanc, Ray Gaddis coaching that team, I would feel pretty damn good about that setup, wouldn't you? Yeah, and you could change our name to the uh, Mountaineers, the U2 Mountaineers. The U2 Mountaineers, that's right. <laughs> and I will quit crossing oh. broad and exclusively cover <laughs> – you too and you can uh i'll make like five dollars through patreon you can get good traffic on those articles i think now we'll find out maybe or maybe (laughs) not um let me see here oh with ray leaving uh joe house wants to know who takes over the union best dressed title in 2021 yeah good bow tie game today that was strong that was really strong and he was in front of the huge painting that had like the was it the last supper or something in front of i don't think you saw but he had this like big i put it on twitter he was sitting in front of this like huge painting it was just like the most ray gaddis looking thing i've (laughs) yeah i'm trying to remember it's been a couple years since i've been in the in the locker room uh does anyone else wear a bow tie or I don't think so. Not that I know of. I haven't been there either. You know, we'll have to do we'll have to do a walk down memory lane. Maybe we'll both go to a game just for old time's sake, you know, in the uh <laughs> this year and just so we can remember what it was like. Um Danger, nope. though, like, are we allowed in the locker room anymore? I mean Oh absolutely. Yeah. We're like uh, you know, yeah. now we're at the stage where we don't have to do any work. We just take our credential in there and just stand around like uh, yeah. you know, like the radio guys do at the Sixers games. <laughs> Um, Union Sufferer says, what do you think Ray's ceiling would have been if he didn't spend several years learning the left back position? Well, that flies in the face of what you said before, because you think that helped his career. Um, yeah, if you if you never learn left back there, like you said, there's a chance where he kind of gets buried in that right back position as a backup or maybe he gets cut. I mean, there were times where he was left open in the expansion draft and was kind of like an afterthought and he kind of stuck with the team. So it's hard to say if he doesn't have that left back versatility, you could could make the case that it hurts his career. Right. So I think we were like all incensed that they protected him in the expansion draft and left like Pedro Ribeiro exposed <laughs> or something like that. Do, do you remember anything like that? I'm vaguely uh, recalling. I remember Pedro Ribeiro well, and we're we were all way too angry about that. We we're like, this guy's gonna be amazing. And Jim Curtin's like, look, it's it's not that big a deal. Yeah, <laughs> so it turns out that Jim Curtin knew what he was talking about, and we uh, did not know what we were talking about. But, uh, but there were like different drafts, I think, where uh, Gaddis was left exposed. I forget, like maybe like earlier in his career, there was a couple of them or one of them. So, so he here's how I, here's how I would answer that question. It's fascinating. I think the left back right back thing hurt his development, but lengthened yeah. his career. Yeah. Isn't that interesting to think about? Like, and if I gave you the question, if I said, look, look, I'm going to give you a Dave Zeitlin analogy. I'm going to get, I'm going to ask you an either or here. Okay. You can do, you can have a five-year career just writing about pen, (laughs) or you can have a nine-year career writing about pen, but you have to do like 50% Philadelphia Eagles too. (laughs) Oh my God. Now, which one of those would you see? It's a conundrum, isn't it? I mean, I guess I'd take the longer career. I mean, but doing the Eagles isn't like necessarily bad. So I don't know how great that analogy is. No, but it's great because left back isn't bad, but it's not what you're the best at. That's true. I would be terrible at covering the Eagles, I would say. (laughs) Compared to their all-star team of writers, I I would not hack it. All, all of the 75 of them or however many uh, yeah. people were there. Um, let me just look at my notes here to see if there's anything else that we missed. 
Oh, I also wrote down Ben Simmons here. We also have compared Ray Gaddis to Ben Simmons on the podcast before as an example of somebody who does a lot of things well but needs to work on his attacking game. So on the podcast, we've compared uh, Ray Gaddis to Cesar Hernandez and Ben Simmons at the same time. Um, nice. Also, you after you left the podcast, we added the Ray Gaddis rule. Are you familiar with the Ray Gaddis rule? I have listened to a lot of episodes, but I'm not sure if I know that. We haven't exercised it a lot or we haven't like stated that we're exercising the rule. But the Ray Gaddis rule is that when you say something negative about somebody, you have to then balance it out by saying something positive about them at the oh, same that's time. That's sweet. I tell my kid that too. There you go. All right. Well, it's like the golden rule, you know, treat other people the way that you would like to be treated. In this case, it's the Ray Gaddis rule. That's all that I have, man. Um, are you good? Everything's good on your end. We miss you on the podcast. Yeah, no, we're good. Thanks for keeping it going. Thanks for uh, thanks for bringing me back. Any anytime there's a 2012 draft pick in the second round who who leaves this team after eight years, I mean, feel <laughs> free to uh, to call me again. <laughs> We'll, we'll call you in for like the, the very special assignments, yeah. you know, like Ray Gaddis's retirement. Um, you know, if Peter Novak resurfaces and like re, oh, resume, yeah. re uh, you know, reactivates his Twitter account. Um, you know, if, if like John Hackworth, Hackworth or, or Christian Arietta resurface. Yeah. Like yeah. Hackworth and Cruz are coaching that same team. So if they win a title, right, maybe we can get me on. For there that. you go. Okay. Well, maybe we'll do a four person Zoom. <laughs> if, if Louisville wins another one, it'll be Dave Zeitlin, yeah. Kevin Kincaid, of uh, <laughs> Um, John Cruz. Hackworth and Danny Cruz. It's always soccer in Kentucky. That's how we do it. Um, who's the who's the um, the uh, guy now in the uh, union who's longest tenured? I guess it's it's Blake, obviously, right? Um, Andre Blake, twenty fourteen. Yeah. Because there's nobody left from twenty thirteen, is there? Yeah, I don't think so. So so Blake is the guy now. That, that's crazy to think about because we were there at that draft, right, in twenty fourteen when they picked Blake, and we were like, yeah. why did they why did they trade up one pick and take Blake when they could have gotten was it Burnbaum or, or Dean when they needed a center back? Oh right? God, yeah, and Zach McMath wasn't happy about it. <laughs> yeah, By the way, I'll tell a story. I've never told this story before. This is a special treat. Nice. We'll end it on this. This is a special treat for always soccer in Philadelphia <laughs> listeners. I've never told this story to anybody before, but my wife accidentally tipped off Andre Blake to the fact that he was getting picked number one overall. Oh wow! How was that? How that happen? So what happened was that we were at the. Uh, hotel the night before the super draft because it was in philadelphia that year and um i kind of knew that the union were interested in dre at number one and so i was just talking to her i'm like yeah they really like this this goalie like i think i think they're gonna draft him like we didn't know for sure but i was like i'm pretty sure that they're like i know that they're high on this guy and it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility so we're just like mingling talking to people and stuff like that and um these guys come over to talk to us and we're just chatting and we found out that they were Andre. It was Andre Blake's agent. Mm. Okay. And like yeah. Sarah's just talking to him off to the side, just like chitty chatting or whatever. And she doesn't know that it's like the agent. And she says something to the effect of like, yeah, well the union, I, cause they were asking like, Hey, what do you think about the draft tomorrow? And blah, blah. She's like, well, I heard they're like interested in this goalkeeper <laughs> and the goalkeeper was their client. So okay. I think they, they took on that and they were like, well, shit, are we, this person who's connected to a union person says that they're interested in Andre. Is there like a chance that they're going to take him number one overall? So I think they pieced that together. And because I told her and she didn't know who these people were, we yeah. kind of let it slip that um, Andre was going to be drafted number nice. one overall. So. And they made a trade too. Didn't they trade with like um, 
I think with Ben Olsen in DC to move up from like two to one or from three to one. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. They did. But I, I guess the point, I guess now that I remember, you know, going back to that, I would say that they were just interested in him in, like in general, it wasn't that they yeah. were going to take him at number one, but they they liked him. And then that influenced the, the move then. So there you go. It's a story I've never told. This is exclusive to always soccer. And Philadelphia yeah. Listeners. Yeah. My That's wife funny. kind of accidentally tipped off Andre Blake's agent that the union were interested in him. So could have happened to anyone. We've all listen. We've all been there before. Yeah, like we've all been in that. Every we've always all of us have had our wife tip off a player's (laughs) agent before. About UConn goalkeepers, yeah. That's right, Dave. Listen, it was it was a pleasure, man. It was great to have you on again. Um, I miss you. You are my original co-host. We'll we'll get you back on the next time. Like you know, when we get like you know a super like OG uh, union topic, we'll we'll get you back on. All right. That's all I am good for at this point. So thank you for keeping me in mind for the terrible history of this, uh, of this franchise that is now quite good at soccer.